Thank you for joining us on another adventure in neuromonitoring. Please listen to the end of this cast for our disclaimers. Hello, neuromonitoring community. Just a quick update of what we have going on at IONM for Life headquarters. Have you checked out the IONM for Life Insider? This is the premier unaffiliated newsletter of neuromonitoring professionals worldwide with contributions from your colleagues across the field. Check out the link at ionmforlife.com or check out my LinkedIn profile to subscribe. Also, Neurodiagnostic Week is just around the corner. Are you looking for that perfect gift for the neuromonitoring professional in your life? Be sure to shop the IONM for Life store for IONM for Life swag. We have hilarious t-shirts, hats, water bottles, bags, coffee mugs, lanyards, and other perfect gifts to show your team you appreciate them. We have a link on the IONM for Life website, or you can find us at etsy.com backslash shop backslash IONM for life. You're listening to another stimulating adventure in the world of neuromonitoring. This is the IONM for Life podcast with your host, Scott Moore. Buffalo Strong. It's a fitting and hard-earned title for the Western New York neuromonitoring market. The region's been hit hard recently with high-profile tragedies and challenges. Just in the past few months, Western New York was hit with not one, but two quote-unquote once-in-a-generation winter storms. Nice of them to have the foresight to take care of the next generation's major winter storm as well. There's been staffing shortages and looming healthcare system strikes and the sudden and very scary on-field collapse of Buffalo Bills player Damar Hamlin. But, like Damar Hamlin, Buffalo and the western New York region come back from the brink time and time again. This is a resilient bunch, and that quality is reflected in the local neuromonitoring market. So after following so many dramatic stories in the news, I had to follow up when I heard that NeuroAlert, a New York-based neuromonitoring organization, chose to honor Martin Luther King Jr. Day with a special service project. I reached out to local NeuroAlert team leader Ryan Konitz, who agreed to sit down for an interview and discuss his recent promotion to regional manager. Uh, Full disclosure, I have worked as a staffing consultant professional with healthcare organizations, and I've provided support for Ryan and NeuroAlert in the past, and I can attest to Ryan's high level of neuromonitoring professionalism. Here's Ryan. Ryan, thank you for being on the show, sir. Just wanted to say congratulations. When I scheduled this interview, you were team manager, Ryan, and now you are regional manager, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm not, I am not worthy. <laughs> I've had the opportunity, full disclosure, I've had the opportunity to work with Ryan in the past and uh, work alongside of him, work for him, uh, probably working for him in the future as well. It's always a privilege working with you, and I, I, I think this is a well-deserved promotion. Thanks, Scott. Thanks so much for the kudos, and you're welcome to work for me anytime, please. <laughs> you know, everyone talks about wanting to be their own boss, and basically I'm everyone's employee. <laughs> I'll go with that. That's That works. <laughs> so I always ask everyone, opening question, so how did you get into the field of neuromonitoring? That's uh, that's a great question, and and like a lot of people, it's just got a kind of happenstance. <laughs> I still haven't... I haven't met anybody that was like, yeah, you know, when I was in 
kindergarten, I always wanted to stick people with needles and electrocute them. At least no normal children. Um, <laughs> so, Those of us are really into the game operation. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, this is just an opportunity that came um, by happenstance after, you know, taking some curveballs and and uh, not knowing where I wanted to go and, and do with my life after, after college. And uh, I was given an opportunity by a, a company that probably a lot of us techs out there who have been, you know, been a part of or trained under. I was looking for, you know, how could I apply a biology degree, you know, and not do something that's just boring, like in a lab kind of tech every day. And, and they offered an opportunity to be in the medical field in an exciting field of, uh, you know, helping patients get through surgery and get on the other side, as we call it, neuromonitoring. It sounded extremely interesting to me. And, um, and I, and I got into it about almost 10 years ago and I really haven't, haven't looked back since. Weather right now is about 50 degrees up in Buffalo where you are, but yeah, obviously recently you had uh, your second once in a generation snowstorm of the year. So how did that go? Yeah, there was a, there was a lot of hardship that went on around, uh, around Buffalo here in the, in the storm that, that just hit just prior to Christmas. And unfortunately a lot of, uh, a number of people, you know, lost their lives in the storm because of being caught outside or loss of electricity and, and essentials. So it's very sad. I personally was very fortunate to leave town um, to go to my mother's um, in Ohio, where it was a balmy uh, nine degrees during that storm. So, we, so we were we were safe and snug. Although my my street that I was on lost power in my house, my home lost power from Friday to Sunday. So we would have been so all throughout Christmas we would have been without power and heat. But luckily, luckily we were able to get back. Um, get the power back on, and you know, like you said, once a once in a generation type of thing. It makes me every every year. I think I think more and more about uh, things like back backup generators, and uh, I don't think there will be one you'll be able to buy in, in, in the greater Buffalo area for the next couple of years. Uh, I think everybody's going to remember this one. Yeah, that was brutal. Uh, you know, good, God bless all of you for going through that. That was incredible. Some of your team uh, got stuck in the hospital too. I'm guessing got locked in. Yeah, the, so most uh, most of the employees that were still in the hospital by like Friday. Um, afternoon were all mandated to stay. Um, and, and some, uh, some of the stories of people getting home, um, a few days later on Christmas day were, I mean, something like you'd, you'd see at a planes, trains and automobiles, you know, like, you know, hitchhiking and, and walking through snow drifts and, you know, parking cars, middle of the streets type of thing. So, um, very sad for people that, that weren't able to be with their loved ones for Christmas, but there are a couple of good stories and definitely ones you'll have for a lifetime of, um, you know, trying to make it back to them. Uh, Ryan, recently your company, NeuroAlert, in the Western New York area did some outreach. Just want to tell me a little bit about that. Here at NeuroAlerts, we really stress the importance of community and uh, giving back to those in the community. Um, I, I look at my job as not just neuromonitoring, but just taking care of people that, that happen to live in the same community as, as me and wanting them to be to be healthy. But we, we like to recognize on the day of service every every year for uh, Martin Luther King Day to go out into our community and just kind of volunteer our time and, and recognize the importance of helping others. And uh, this year, I was able to able to find an opportunity via a website called justserve.org. And, and this led me to a, a dinner that they were serving for um, refugees from Ukraine who had been resettled in Buffalo recently. And and that certainly tugged at my heartstrings, you know, seeing children and families displaced because of war. And so, so I was so happy to kind of wrangle our team together for one night to, to try to serve them because I'm sure they're just going through things that we can't even imagine. 
Awesome. Amen. Yeah. And I completely agree with where you're coming from with that. And it's it's so good when you have the opportunity to kind of jump in and and help out in a situation like that. You and your team certainly did. You you led the charge in that. Uh, So hats off to you, sir. Uh, That was that was a great effort. I have a picture up here. I found this on LinkedIn and it's it's you making a giant pot of uh, pasta. Spaghetti, you look like you're having a blast. <laughs> I usually don't work in portions that size. So uh, when you do, you really, and you're mixing the sauce, the sauce that some of our some of our locals might might call it with the spaghetti and you got 20, 30 pounds in there, you, you really need a lot of forearm strength. So, you know, not, <laughs> that's, that's a lot of, a lot of learning, a lot of learning going on there. And who you don't see there, and who I really think needs to get some um, some kudos is, is Francois, who happened to be at the time doing his own um, volunteer work uh, in his home uh, country of the Ivory Coast. And Dr. Puy, I know you're familiar with to the podcast, um, gave his testimony to you guys, which is you know incredibly powerful. Um, I, I suggest everybody give it a listen. Um, and he he's really the one that 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 really leads the charge on this team in terms of you know, volunteering his time, money, and efforts to those that are less fortunate. So I can really only hope to be up to the kind of bar and example that, that he sets um, each and every day. So hats off to you, Dr. Koya. Thanks so much for being on our team. Absolutely. Yeah, Dr. Koya, he's inspirational. And like I said, I, I was a privilege to tell his story on this podcast. Uh, he really is an exemplary member of your team. He's privileged to work in support of uh, the Western New York team uh, up there in, in Buffalo. And, and I, can, I can tell you it integrity, uh, quality, and just dedicated to patient care and some of the best patient interview practices I've ever seen in, in all of neuromonitoring, which I always support. You have a good foundation, a good team to lead up there, Ryan. So that, that, that will serve you well as a leader. How long were you a team manager with NeuroAlert? I've been in the Buffalo area with, with NeuroAlert for almost eight years now. I was promoted to team lead in, I believe, the beginning of 2021. And then just this month, again, promoted to team manager and uh like, like you said i we have a we have a very strong um small but solid team here and um and there are no weak links and it, that's that's what really makes my job easy i i've always personally taken accountability um even though i was, haven't always had a title to do so i always always take ownership of my patients and my surgeons yeah, i think that's i think that's the way you should always go about um taking care of people and uh, I think that was just recognized over a long time. But, but like you said, I'm just fortunate enough to have a team here that, that is exemplary and really understand their role and how we all do it together individually, but also as a team. And everybody understands what they, what they are supposed to do in, day in and day out. And, and I can't say enough good things about them. So I th- thank you everybody to Joe, Lisa, Francois, Craig. You guys are all great. Hopefully many more good years to come. And they work together so well. And that's that's really, I think that's the key to what makes a successful team in neuromonitoring is literally being a team. I can't see it from my angle of the poster hanging up in my, in my office here. And it says, it's, it's basically a picture of a bunch of uh, Spartan hoplites, you know, with a shield and everything. And it says, it's about the person beside you and that's it. Basically, like if you work to support the people around you and make them successful, you'll be a good, you're going to be a solid team. You're going you're gonna to have victory over whatever circumstances you're facing. Uh, the Buffalo area, west of New York, uh, Healthcare in general across the nation right now is facing challenges, staffing issues, just a lot of a lot of blows. And yet, I like to see that Western New York team kind of just you know circle the wagons, uh, work with each other, and uh, just get the job done, and take uh, excellent care of their patients, support their surgeons, and do a great job with neuromonitoring. So, so Ryan, uh, 
someone that would be coming into a team lead role, a team manager role, what qualities do you think they need to bring? What, what expectations do you think they need to bring to really kind of be successful in that? Being a manager, you have to have a certain mindset in our community, in our very small niche community. I think sometimes credentials are sometimes put over personality and managerial skills. And sometimes people rise to the top that are extremely smart and certainly have lots of degrees and, and everything to go along with that and know they're monitoring inside and out. But managing people takes takes people skill. I think one of my biggest challenges in, in developing how to manage others is, is just understanding my reality isn't necessarily your reality. And that's okay. You know, I'm not going to force my thoughts, wills, hopes, and dreams onto you because you just might see life differently. And that's okay. Understanding where people are coming from, understanding how they like to communicate, you know, is really important to for motivational purposes. You can't be fearful of confrontation when you're in a manager role. Um, I'm very direct. I like to face challenges head on because I find that if there's an issue at a team, you don't want to face that issue head on. Sometimes that can get swept under the rug and then that can create a very negative situation for everyone in a toxic environment. And that's something that I can't, I cannot stand. So if there, there's a problem, I just want to get on it right away in, in a way that's positive, that doesn't drag other people down, but help them learn from mistakes because we're all human. All of us are making mistakes every day, but it's those that learn from it. I think that we can continue to grow. Because in reality, we do the same things every day. You run your SCPs, your motors, so on and so forth. And, and you can get very bored in the monotony of that. Or you can learn how to be better every day. And that may not be something that has anything to do with the potentials and the waveforms that are going across your screen. But how you interact with others, the things you pick up on surgery, your awareness, your helpfulness, and your being willing to be helpful to others in that team-like atmosphere, you know? Can you grab something out of the drawer for anesthesia? Because they don't have 10 hands. You know, can you help the circulator push on the belly while she's putting a foley in to get, you know, urine return? You know, to get your hands in there, get dirty, you know, and be helpful. Because if you're only a person that watches squiggly lines go by, then that's something that a machine can learn to do by itself. But if you're somebody that's helpful, it is, is seen as being helpful, then you're you know, an indispensable team member. I think you nailed it. I think you really nailed a big blind spot yes, in, in our field. This is this idea that, I mean, neuromonitoring can't be this peripheral add-on kind of like luxury item where neuromonitoring can't simply be some fancy machine you wheel into the room and, and plug in some electrodes and, and it's going to do its own thing and, and, and monitor the case and that's going to be the end of it. It's, I mean, you really have to be part of the team. You have to be integrated in healthcare more. A lot of us have been working towards that. Uh, the professional society has been working toward kind of help integrate us in, in a, the healthcare workflow. The battle is fought right at the front lines. The line of scrimmage is when we walk in the operating room and we become a, a very useful part of that surgical team. When we communicate data, they, they pay attention to that. They act on it when it's when it's actionable. They, they include us in, in their surgical planning. We're slowly but surely working in that direction. We have ways to go, no question. But you, I think you nailed some key concepts that will help us get there. That's a strong point. And, and to build on that too, in terms of being a manager, as I, I, another thing that I find in our field is that once you get promoted once or twice, you, you suddenly just, you, you get out of the operating room and more into administrative roles. And I find as a manager, I, I don't want to ask things of people that I'm not willing to do. 
I, I love taking care of patients and I never want to not be in a role that I'm, I'm doing that at least on a daily or semi daily basis. Um, so I could never ask my texts like, Hey, I'm just going to kind of make the schedule and kind of hang back and you guys do the bulk work of the case and I'm not going to take a fair portion. So I think, I think that's another, another part of the dynamic of team members and managers and, and how well teams do together is, you know, is there any, is there any kind of animosity due to workflow not being shared properly? And, you know, I take responsibility and I, I like to do the hardest cases because I find them more challenging, but also teach and be available to do, to um, give breaks and take call and, and, uh, just be, just be equitable in, in, you know, the amount of work I'm willing to put in. Well said. I think one of the weak spots in our field, this, this, this applies to healthcare in general. One of the weak spots in our leadership chain is where we go from scrubs to suits. And this is not to say there aren't some amazing regional managers, uh, leaders out there that don't don't regularly scrub in and, and kind of, I want to say get, when I say scrub in, I mean basically get in the operating room and operate. But you can fall into a trap where you stop being able to effectively connect with what's going on in the most important element of any neuromonitor company, which is the work we do in the operating room, right? So if you if you don't spend time in there, if you don't know what that culture is like, if you don't have your finger on that pulse, you lose track of that. You're making decisions that don't necessarily incorporate fundamentally what's the, the issues, so to speak, what people are really thinking and feeling, where they, they, they need more support, more leadership, more training. So that is a dangerous uh, passage to go from, I, I say, scrubs to suits, where basically you're scrubbing out of the operating room. You're not, you're not regularly going into cover cases. And if you're a regional manager for a company, you're going to go sit at home and be the, the Excel spreadsheet manager. That can be a trap where your decisions may not be aligned with what your people need in, in your company. So you get in there every every chance you get, and you're you're in there in the operating room doing advanced cases, and and uh, you're doing a D waves case the other day, and I wanted to come in and check that on and get a chance. But <laughs> but yeah, that's I think that that can be a trap, and I think you've nailed the importance of be as hands on as, as you can be. You know, obviously, you have lots of important responsibilities when you become a regional manager and that sort of thing. But uh, that's that can be a trap that you have to be be mindful of. Yeah, I totally I totally agree. It's, it's just odd because it's in no other medical profession do you do you really find that where once a surgeon you know retires you know they kind of move up and and they're telling other people how to how to do their job <laughs> but they no longer practice you know it's, so it's, it's an odd concept that that we know these are very people that are that are advanced roles are very smart but they they also lose that that experience and so some of the recommendations come and you you wonder, you know, where, where they're making those recommendations from, you know, and certainly a lot of it doesn't seem like personal experience. So I think, I think there needs to be a lot more communication up and down in terms of the experience. And, and then of course, papers, writing, writing papers as a whole, as a whole other topic that not for this discussion today, but, you know, certainly there, there needs to be fine balance of what's theoretical monitoring versus what actually happens in the operating room is kind of sometimes what that kind of stress leads to. Yeah. Actually, on that note, for an upcoming series I'm about to start doing, it's called Drivetrain. And it's basically going to talk about how you have essentially was a, like a vehicle drivetrain where, you know, one part turns another part, turns another part. And if they're all aligned and working in, in, in order, you know, you move everything forward, right? Scientific literature, policy and procedure based off that, you know, that, that effective scientific literature, good training practices that are based on that policy and procedure manual. And you start to stack these, you know, one on top of the other, you have an effective program. And so one of the pieces I'm going to focus on is trying to engage people this year, 2023, in our field, in the actual scientific literature, getting involved in the research, jumping in and trying to work with a, a PhD or an MD on, on putting some new papers out there. 
at least getting a better understanding of these of the, the literature, like reading the articles, getting doing the takeaways. We're gonna launch a little journal club. Like basically, the idea is just like live. We jump on. We have a, a couple docs on, and we talk about a paper that deals with neuromonitoring. We say, well, we we know here's the important takeaways. Here's what's you know here's here's what we like about it. Here's what we don't like about it. Because I want to take on the papers that you know there's there's two sets of data out there. There's one that says neuromonitoring doesn't make a difference. There's one that says neuromonitoring is just you know it's it's you know you have to use it. You know. And uh, the the papers that say neuromonitor doesn't make a difference are a lot of the papers that people will cherry pick. And uh, this is this is kind of a little bit off on the side and off the record right now. But if you, long story short, if you have some papers you think are like key papers that you think people should just be very familiar with, you can text me, email me or whatever, and just like kind of like send that my way. I'm looking to put together like five papers that everyone in our like our field, if you Go in the operating room to cover a case. There are five papers you should absolutely know that the, the key takeaways are. So that, you know, when the surgeon says, oh, you know, surgery anesthesia is like, oh, neuromonitoring doesn't, you know, we shouldn't be doing neuromonitoring on this case because of X, Y, and Z. I had this case, I had this happen to me recently, actually. Um, like, you know, the literature says that neuromonitoring doesn't make a difference in these case types, you know. When you, when you can answer them back and say, okay, well, you can check out this paper. The, you know, here's some statistics that, you know, might actually change your mind. And you, you, you can kind of like fight, you know, fire with fire a little bit, you know, steel on steel and, and not just simply sit there and take it. And like a lot of people in our field, especially people that are less experienced, they just kind of take that beat down. They're like, yeah, okay, you know, I feel like I'm not making a difference now. And then they, you know, they go on the event about that. And if you look at social media for a long time, what you, what you would have is a lot of people saying, it's like, no one respects what we do. Well, make them respect it. You know, like, Learn the scientific literature and and answer back. Say you know you can be you can very professionally answer back and say, well that's not what I believe and here's why I believe and I'm standing on this solid ground. So uh, that's a great topic to cover. You know yeah. what papers do you need to have in hand when you walk in the operating room? You know yeah, exactly. limit it down from the thousand and just you know have a have a handful for your majority of topics. That's a I think that's a great a great topic to to take on. I'm getting more and more passionate about that because I think that's one of the areas we really need to focus on. If well, it really lacks. It really lacks. We we don't share info with each other. We're bad. We're very bad. <laughs> yeah. If you're gonna, as long as we're off topic and off off the record. Yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna ascend to high places and live up there and not be at a revenue producing position, mm-hmm. then you need to, then you need to be in a paper producing position. Yes. And unfortunately, it's just a few. It's just a handful of people in our entire society that put out anything on a semi-regular basis. And it's just, it's, it, given to where the reimbursements are going uh, recently, it's it's only a matter of time before we're either forced to do it or, you know, it's like put up or we're going to fold. Yes. And, you know, I just, I don't understand if you're going to be in one of those positions, how, how you're not trying to aggregate that that data more and, and put out numbers that are going to make insurance wallets open. You said it. Beautifully. I intend to use that quote. And I think that's why, I mean, if you can start getting CNMs to say, all right, I want to be involved with research and there's no reason they shouldn't. They have a bachelor in neuroscience or, you know, biological sciences or whatever. I mean, you got one of those I have hanging on my wall back there, you know, you're qualified to jump in and be involved with research under the guidance of an MD or PhD. So get involved, you know, do it. you're, You're a medical professional, you're a scientist, you know, and so do science, do some good science and, you know, for the good of your field. And, and I think it's a part of a healthy, complete balance in, in being a medical professional. So you have I appreciate you. Thank nope. you for what you do for the field. Yeah, man, you too, sir. And uh, congratulations once again. I'm looking Hopefully, to don't be a stranger. We need a lot of help around here. 
Uh, well, how's your availability from like this April to November? <laughs> Please come back and see us, Scott. All right, we'll see you soon, brother. Take care. Thanks, Scott. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the IONM for Life podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please remember to like, subscribe, and tell a friend. Join us next time for more stimulating adventures. This podcast is not affiliated with any medical device or nor monitoring company. At the present time, the IONM for Life podcast does not accept any advertising money. All opinions expressed on the IONM for Life podcast do not necessarily represent the views and opinions held by myself or anyone associated with the IONM for Life podcast. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast. I welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors.